Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Um, but I'm excited to share a word with you guys this morning called, I am a curse breaker. And I want you to personalize that. Just say that with me. I am a curse breaker. And we're talking about from the book of Judges chapter 6 will be our main text this morning and we'll be looking at the story of Gideon, his life and what God did with him and see the parallel in our journey following Christ. Before I open the word, let me share something humorous. An older couple was lying in bed one night. The husband was about to fall asleep, but the wife was in a romantic mood and wanted to talk. She said, you used to hold my hand when we were courting. Wearily, he reached his wrinkled hand across the bed, held her hand for a few moments, let go, and tried to go back to sleep. A few moments later, she said, you used to kiss me. Mildly irritated, he reached across, gave her a peck on the cheek, and settled down to sleep. Thirty seconds later, she said, then you used to nibble on my neck. Angrily, he threw back the bed clothes and got out of bed. Where are you going, she asked, to get my teeth. <laughs> at, at least we're not there yet, honey. We celebrated last May, uh, just a month ago, our 40th wedding anniversary. Uh, Mary Catherine Maiden and I, and of course I married her when she's six. That's why she doesn't look like she's been married for 40 years. Um, and I'm so grateful for the partner, the beautiful person and dear friend God's given me in my beautiful wife, Mary. Judges chapter 6, I'll begin with verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, apparently before the TV show, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. So there's an angel waiting for the moment and the right person. He threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty men of valor. So two important things. God is with you and you're awesome. You're a history maker, world shaker. You're mighty. You're a great warrior. And Gideon replied, You know you're frustrated when you back talk an angel. So here's the retort that is a response of a discouraged heart that has experienced a disappointing season of frustration. He says, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is truly with us, then why has all this happened to us? It's important that you don't blame God for bad things that happen in your story. The Bible, in fact, gives us definition exactly why Israel was in trouble because of their backslidden, idolatrous behavior. Why has this happened to us? And where are the miracles which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? He's looking back at miraculous actions from God in previous generations and wondering why they're absent in his generation. But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, kind of basically ignoring his resistance to his destiny. Go in this might of yours and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? 
his reply again now gets personal. And he's Gideon now is telling us how he looks at himself. He said, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my family is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh, the smallest tribe. His family, the smallest or the weakest family in the smallest tribe. And I'm the least of my father's house. And so he connected the dots. I'm the least significant person in my family. My family is the least significant uh, family in Manasseh. Manasseh is the least significant tribe in Israel. So he has now built a consensus that his life cannot have meaningful consequence because of what he was born into. It's not true. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. And so the Lord repeating to him this verbatim, this instruction, this promise, this destiny. Please join me in prayer and then we're going to open up some things that I believe God has for us from these passages. Lord, thank you for this beautiful church, Faith Christian Church. Pastor Matt and Frank are the great staff, volunteers, the members, every person here you love. Every person here you know, every person here you care for so tenderheartedly, so, so lovingly. And I pray every person in the sound of my voice has an encounter with you today. Touch their hearts, their lives, their story, do miracles. Have your way with us. Show the devil who's boss. Anoint your servant, anoint your people, anoint your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Gideon's story begins with this dialogue. And the first thing God said to Gideon was, here's who you really are. You're a mighty warrior. I, I say this every place I go because it's, I believe, really, really important. The most important thing in life is what we believe about God. Because eternity hinges on who we say Christ is. Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what you say about Jesus is the important, most important thing in your story. And so the Christian faith, evangelical Christianity, the kind of faith church you are, the kind of church I am, we have our our common Christian heritage recognizes the importance of that. But I add a little second point that what I believe that the second most important thing in life is what you believe about yourself. And so it's important because the way you see yourself determines the way you see everything else. It's impossible to see life right when you see yourself wrong. You will distort to the prism of a of a, uh, a distorted identity. You will interpret life wrongly when you see yourself wrongly. And so the first thing the angel says, here's who you really are. You're mighty. You're a warrior. God is with you. You're going to be the champion of your generation. I tell my church all the time, you're a history maker. You're a world shaker. You're God's workmanship, a one-of-a-kind original masterpiece painted by or created by a master artist. There's nobody like you. God loves you. God's for you. God's called you. God's anointed you. You're chosen. And so the angel, the voice of God coming to Gideon 
is telling him who he really is. And, and this is an important point because the Bible is not a book of rules. It's a book of identity. The Bible self-describes itself as a mirror. And what does a mirror do? It shows you who you are. And the Bible says, look into the promise of what God says who you are because you're not who your family says you are. You're not who your past says you are. You're not through... Uh, 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 you're, you are not who your sin says you are. You are who God says you are. That's who you are. I am a child of God. And you are a child of God. And so seeing ourselves right is important for us to live life right. And so the way we see ourselves determines the way we see everything else. People that don't know who they are always end up in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. So Gideon's threshing wheat. He's doing the wrong thing in the wrong place, but at least he's doing something. So he's, 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 he, his life is at a contradiction. His life, there's, there's not a symmetry. There's a discord in his journey because he's doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. It's not working. And, and, and so God says to him, here's why it's not working, because you don't know who you are. You're called to... Have a life that's more than just eking out a black market income. You're, you're called to do more than just survive. You're called to just to stop feeling sorry for yourself that you're the least member in your family. Your family, the least family in Manasseh. Manasseh, the least family in Israel. And, and God says, here's what's true. You're mighty, you're anointed, you're powerful, you're chosen. You're going to change your generation. That's who you are. And so God talks to us over and over again. Instructing us on what he has called us to be, who we are to him. Gideon, he's having a hard time identifying it, but God's going to help him break it. Now, the most strategic, the strongest, the most demonic and oppressive assault the enemy will ever unleash against your life is always his attempt to rob and kill and destroy your kingdom identity as a child of God. The devil doesn't care if you get saved as long as you don't know who you are. The most powerful people in Melbourne, Australia today, are not sitting in a country club or some high rise or some other uh, mansion making their plans and making their strategies. The most powerful people in this city are in this room. The children of God, you have power with God. God hears your prayers. God's anointed your life. Your life has consequence, authority, meaning, significance, value, and destiny because you're God's child. So a, a few months ago, a, a group of, I don't know, 10,000 witches got together and they were going to pray against President Trump. And so I was getting all these notifications, Pastor, what are we going to do? All these witches rising up and says, would you please stop it? I said, one little grandma, 84 years old, getting up out of bed, has more powerful prayer, has more power with God than 10,000 witches. One Christian can defeat the curses of 10,000 witches. There's more force than against us. We're on the winning side. The devil's defeated. He only reigns where he reigns by deception. He only can rule where people don't know the truth. So God wants us in our story to know who we are. God thinks you're awesome. God thinks that you're worth, worth his son coming to die for you. God thinks that your life has so much value. Before you were born, God wrote out a script. He predestined you. He wrote out a predetermined plan for your life. You're, you're someone that God could not do without. 
You're not an accident. You're an assignment. You're here on purpose for purpose. God loves you. He's with you. He's called you. He's anointed you. And you're called to make a difference. And so the Lord's breaking through the curse of wrong identity. When we believe wrong about ourselves, we forfeit and stymie the promise of our lives in Christ. Your kingdom identity is the key that unlocks your destiny as a child of God. You cannot find everything God has for you when you cannot believe who God says you are. So what happens, Gideon eventually kind of settles this issue and goes ahead. And and in verse 22 through 24 in the same chapter, Gideon has the angel visit him again. And there's a dynamic encounter in verse 24. Gideon built an altar there and called it, the Lord is peace, Yahweh Shalom. To this day, it's an Oprah of the that So Gideon, so when I was reading that a few years ago, I remember having this thought, well, it's nice, God, you made your peace with Gideon. And here's what the Lord said to me. I was never mad at Gideon. That's where he made his peace with me. Now, it's possible to be a Christian that serves God but still harbors an internal offense against God for someone dying, someone leaving, something going wrong. But I just want to encourage you. God doesn't kill people. God doesn't hurt people. God doesn't wound people. God doesn't send cancer to teach you a lesson. God didn't take your relative home early. God didn't cause your marriage to fall apart. God God doesn't do. There's no evil in God. He cannot do evil. Every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights. James said, don't be deceived. If it's not good, it's not God. Jesus said it like this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. God's a good God. He specializes in good things. And I said this yesterday morning. If it's not good yet, it just means God's not done yet. He's still working it for your good. And so Gideon makes his peace with God. And, and Gideon says, okay, God, let's go. I'm ready. Let's deliver this entire generation. And God says, okay, hold on, young man. Before you can deliver a nation, you've got to conquer your family's stronghold. If you can conquer the devil in your family, you can conquer the devil in your nation. If you, if you can overcome the stronghold in your family, you can overcome the stronghold in the nation. Before you go forward, you got to go back. Before you go forward, you got to go back. And so the Lord told him in these verses, read it with me, please. In verse 20, verse 32, getting his guys go up in the hill. Or excuse me, verse 25. And they tear down his daddy's worship system of Baal and Ashtaroth and all these things. Came to pass the same night, the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father put up. And cut down the wedding image that's beside it. That would be Baal and Ashtaroth. And in the same place, build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. Take the second bowl as a burnt offering and the wood of the image after you chop it down, make an altar with it. So Gideon took ten men and did as the Lord had said to him. Because he feared his father's household, he did it at night. And so he, he that this is an important point. Here's what God said. If you can conquer your daddy's devil, you can conquer your nation's devil. Now the, when we talk about generational curses. So generational curses, the strongest demonic influence you will ever face is the one that comes through your family lineage, who has a presence through the sinful behavior of previous generations, through iniquitous. And and Exodus 24 says, the sins of the father will fall upon their children to the third and fourth generation. So there's a generational 
uh, uh, oppression that comes through, especially entrenched sinfulness. But God says, I want you to overcome the sin of previous generations. I want you to break patterns. I want you to break the, the, someone here. I hear the Lord saying the curse of premature death. God's want, he wants to break out of your family through you. He wants to break mental uh, illnesses. He wants to break cancer and tumors, whatever is happening physically. He wants to break depression, anxiety, and fearfulness that's, that's prominent or common in your family. He wants you to be the curse breaker. You are the one, my friend, who will break and destroy every generational curse that has ever controlled your family. You are the curse breaker. So Gideon says, okay. He goes up there and he tears it down. This is the big thing. People say, I'm asked a lot, well, Pastor, what's my destiny? Well, often your destiny is found by interpreting your family's history. Because whatever the devil's done in your family, God wants to do the opposite. Romans 12, 21 says it like this. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember what Christ said? Christ said stuff like this. Forgive people that hurt you. Bless people that curse you. Love people that hate you. Do the opposite. When they curse you, bless. When they hurt you, forgive. When they're unloving, you be loving. Overcome by intentional acts of forgiveness. When Mary and I were first in the ministry, first pastoring 35 years ago, I was praying for a car one weekend. At, at the church, demo myself, we had a small church of a couple hundred people. It was just a year old, and I'm praying at the altar. I didn't think anybody was there with me. I was praying for a car. My wife had dropped me off in our minivan. We had three kids back then and a fourth one on the way. And so I'm praying for a car because it's tough to be, you know, a grown man without a car. And uh, um, so someone tapped me in the shoulder, and it kind of startled me. His name was Warner Gummery, and he says, Pastor, do you need a car? And I said, I haven't even said amen to my prayer yet. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and I, you know, I'm thinking a Ford, a Chevy. I'll take anything. Toyota. Come out in the parking lot. And we're standing there. And uh, there, there's, there's no car there except the Mercedes Benz. So I didn't even see that because I, I couldn't even imagine driving a Mercedes Benz. I says, well, I don't see the car. He says, well, are you blind? It's this blue Mercedes Benz. I said, you're going to give me a brand new Mercedes Benz? Yeah. So Jesus Christ gave me a Mercedes Benz. And uh, Sunday, Monday, don't get jealous <laughs> for nothing. So anyways, I drove it. So it causes controversy because people start speaking, well, Pasha shouldn't drive Mercedes Benz. Well, well, maybe if you got one given to you, drive it. <laughs> or just t take out the Mercedes thing and put Toyota there. Maybe you feel comfortable putting the. <laughs> so I, but anyway, so a, a guy in town started preaching against me having this on the radio. Like, all the, oh, Pastor made me drive in a Mercedes and. And, and, you know, so he, for a couple of years he did that. So I had the Mercedes for a couple of years. And one day I just told my wife, I'm going to give away my car today. No, that's something I've done. I, last year I gave away my 19th car. I love giving away cars. And uh, so I drove the Mercedes over to that pastor's house, knocked on his door, and gave the man who spoke almost every day on the radio in a huge city against me by name for driving the Mercedes. I gave him my Mercedes. He started crying. His wife started crying. His three kids came out and started crying. He, 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 he apologized. He got a license plate that said, don't judge. He drove his Mercedes around town. And Mary and I laughed all the way home because we overcame evil with good. I'm friends with that guy today. Good friends with him. You can, in your family, you're the one with the tools, the grace, the anointing, 
the principles, the power, the spirituality that can break curses. Instead of just participating, well, my family's like that. Well, you know, all the men in our family, they're just players. I don't know if you used that word. They just got an eye for the ladies. Really? Well, why don't you be the guy that plucks out the eyes? Why don't you be the moral guy? Why don't you be the married guy? Why don't you love your wife? You be the curse breaker. You be the one that conquers evil with good. Oh, well, all the women in our family, they're just this way. They're all depressed. Well, you be the one that breaks that curse. You are the one who will break and destroy every generational curse that's ever controlled. You're the curse breaker. Someone say, I'm a curse breaker. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, in order that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, and that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. We've not only been redeemed out of curses, we've been redeemed into blessings. We are blessed, not cursed. We are loved, not hated. We are forgiven. And so God gives us the revelation, the tools, the blessing, the grace to overcome whatever has tried to ensnare us in perpetual bondage and keep us from satisfying the purpose of God for our lives and families because of a lie. We're overcomers. That's who we are. You're a curse breaker. You're a world changer. You're a difference maker. God loves getting built in the exact same spot. And the kind of the scenario around, especially Ashroth worship, was always prostitution and horrible sexual behavior. So in the very same spot where the devil had done his worst thing, he built a fa- an altar to God. God knows how to take the worst thing that's happened to you or your family and do his best thing there. God can work all things together for your good. Joseph said it like this, you meant evil against me, but God turned it and meant it for good. You are the one that can make it good. Your trust in God. Your faith in God. Genesis 35, there's this great story. And I love it because it so gets us such a, a clear illustration. Jacob is on his way to a city. He wanted his son to be born in a certain city. His wife's pregnant. She's an older woman. She's having difficulty. She's in hard labor. And she goes into full labor during this journey. And they have to stop their caravan. They pull aside. And the Bible says that, that uh, Rachel went into hard labor. And when she's in hard labor, the nurse said to him, don't, don't worry, you're, you're going to have a son. It's all going to work out good. But it didn't work out for her. As she was in hard labor, Genesis 35, verse 16 and 17, 18 says that she began to die. She's dying while her son is living. She gave her life to give birth to her son. So it was as her soul was leaving her body before she died. She called the name of her son Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Benoni simply means in the Hebrew, son of my great sorrow, the boy who killed me. And, and so her last earthly sentence was a curse over her son. And, and it wasn't that she didn't love it. Her son was a miracle that she believed for, but she was in so much pain, she could not restrain her pain from being passed on to her son. So she cursed what God wanted to bless by giving her son the wrong name. The nurse opens the curtains and she looks into the eyes of Jacob. He says, I've got good news and horrible news. The bad news is your wife died. The good news is she gave you a son. Here's your 12th son. His name is Benoni. Jacob holds the little baby. 
he's walking with Benoni. And he says, no, no. I know Rachel didn't mean to. I know she just was hurting so bad. She didn't mean, little boy, to curse you. She didn't mean to put her pain in you. She didn't mean to, to give you a disadvantaged beginning. Jo Jacob knew about having the wrong name. He was called Jacob Heel Grabber. We would call it Usurper or Con Man. And he lived down to his name in his early life, behaving in, in inappropriate ways, behaving in kind of immoral gray area ways. And so Jacob knew about having the wrong name until one day God met him and gave him a new name and said, your name is Israel, Prince of Heaven, Prince of God. Here's who you really are. Stop living down to what your family said. Stop living down to what your history said. Here's who God says you are. You're a prince of heaven. And he took this little boy and said, I'm not going to let people curse you. Your name won't be Benoni, son of my great sorrow. Your name will be Benjamin, son of my right hand, my closest son. And he broke a curse by declaring the promise of God over his son. I don't know who called you the wrong name. I don't know what your family said about you. I don't know what people said about you. I don't know what your ex-boss, your ex-spouse, your ex-this said about you. I just know that God has something better to say about you. You are God's son and daughter. You are greatly loved. You are treasured. You are valued. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're the head and not the tail. You are a world changer and a history maker for Jesus Christ. That's who you are. But God needs our participation. God needs our participation. Here's an important point. The moment that Gideon tore down his daddy's devil, something remarkable happened. You go down to verse 32 in the same chapter, Judges 6, 32. The men of the city are talking about killing Gideon because what he's done. But Gideon's father said, his new name is Jerubal. Let Saying, meaning, let Baal plead against him because he's torn down his altar. His, his father all of a sudden saw who his son really is. Jerubal means to fight against Baal. Now here's the point. Gideon's name means feller, to fight, to cut. It's a portrait of a person cutting down a tree. But it, it means to be a little fighter. God never wants to take the fight out of the fighter. He only wants to show the fighter the fight he was called to win for the kingdom of God. God can use you if you have a little fight left in you. People that lose their fight surrender to life and are incapable of bringing transformational change because they accept everything that happens to them as fate. But kingdom men and women know how to change history by their faith in God, by their prayers, and by their behavior. We're called the change. Melbourne's better because you're here. This is a curse-breaking church anointed by God to bring massive deliverance to thousands of families. God brought you here for a purpose. You're in a church that's going to transform your story. You're going to grow in faith. You're going to see miracles happen. You're going to have breakthrough after breakthrough. But they all begin in your personal story. The victories we win in our personal lives when no one is watching give us platforms to win victories in our public life when everyone is watching. Gideon, Gideon delivered a whole nation after he delivered his family. His father saw, here's who my son is. He's the, he's the stronghold destroyer. He's the Jerubal, the one who's tearing down. The father said, son, you won the victory I couldn't win. You are the fighter for the family. 
I don't know who has failed you. I don't know what's gone wrong in your family. I just know you're in the right church. You're in the right place. You're in the right season. You're in the right moment. And God's going to use you to tear down the stuff the devil's done. What the enemy has meant for evil, God's going to turn to good through your story, through your faith, through your behavior, through your actions, through your love, through your obedience, through your faith in God. You are the one who will break and destroy every generational curse. The enemy has ever used to control your family. You are the curse breaker. You are the difference maker. That's who you are. And part of the understanding is this. Gideon goes on to deliver a generation. For everyone in this room, the closer we come to God, the, the more God shows us how things really are. Let me say this sentence to you. God can't bless it until you stop cursing it. Our oldest son, Matthew, was... Well, I, we told our, our story last year about I was clinically depressed and ha, we had our world rocked 20, 25 years ago when our treasurer stole $20 million from us. We were building a big 4,000-seat building, had it halfway up when calamity came. He stole all of our money. Ten front-page stories. Church grew from 4,000 to 120. That's not the wrong way. And uh, we were homeless as a family. Had 15 attorneys that became clinically depressed. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Our son was a great athlete, even at 13, started doing drugs. Eventually got, had a bunch of rich friends, gave him cocaine, he became addict, addicted to cocaine. And so he, here am I, pastoring my son's now a drug addict. And when he, when he was of age, he moved out of the house, drug dealers trying to kill him, the police trying to arrest him. And I would lay in his bed, and I would pray every night, God, don't let my son die tonight. Don't let him die by the hands of a criminal, don't let him die by drugs, don't let him die by the police. I pray for my son, and after seven years of it, I started viewing my son as an addict instead of as a world conqueror. I, I, I saw what a life had done to him. And so the Lord said to me, he said, Michael, I want you to change the way you see and the things you say about your son. You act as if he'll never change. And next time you see your son, I want you to put your arms around him and tell him he's a history maker, a world shaker. Remind him of all the prophetic words he's gotten about being a man of God, having a family, starting a business, being a pastor. Remind him of who I said he is. And it was like the Lord jarred me from a sleep when I realized I was falling into the trap of believing that my son would never change. And I was contributing to the chaos of his life by, by agreeing with what the enemy was doing. And so... Mary and I, we've been praying for seven years. Nothing happened. Within six weeks of us talking to our son and talking to each other differently about him, God visited my son sovereignly. He, he went to visit a church to see a girl. In the very back row, he fell down and shook for 90 minutes. When he got up, he was set free from a cocaine addiction. He went to Bible school, went to Haiti as a missionary for a year, ordained as a pastor in our church. Married a girl in our church, has four babies now, is a prominent business person and leader in our city, all because we stopped cursing him. God wants to do miracles in your family, but he can't until you break curses. Just takes one. God doesn't need everybody. He just needs one. God doesn't need everybody on board. He just needs one. You be the one. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.